Jim Miller will come. Mm. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. See, you know what? That means it is a new season because you had to name drop his you had to <laughs> name drop Jim Miller. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode number 14 of the Emissions Director's Lunchcast. I'm your host, Nathan Ament, Chief Enrollment Officer at Loyola University in New Orleans, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Teej Matil, Vice President for Enrollment at Carroll University. Teej, how are you doing? You know what? I'm great, Nathan. How are you? I'm pretty good. All right. Well, today, Teej, we are discussing regional emissions counselors, and we've got some great guests to help us out. See, I almost missed it there. Almost missed the cue, but I'm back on track. Do you think we need to remind folks about how the LunchCast works? Sure. Each week, Nathan and I mispronounce each other's name, and along with our guests, one influencer and one practitioner, we will discuss a topic that is directly related to recruitment and admission. Our hope is that by the end of your lunch hour, you, the listener, will have a good enough handle on the topic that you can implement tactics quickly, maybe even this afternoon. So who will be joining us this week to discuss regional admissions counselors? Well, this week as our influencer guest, I'm happy to say we have Tracy Flowers, post-secondary counselor at Deerfield High School in Deerfield, Illinois. I got bingo on the Midwest card. So here we go. And our practitioner guest, we have Karen Smith, Midwest Regional Admissions Manager at Beloit College in Beloit, Wisconsin. Tiggy, I'm excited. Let's get going. It says here in her writer that we're supposed to say uh, regional legend Karen Smith. Oh, should we re-record? Are we cool? I think I just covered it. All right, Tiggy. Well, I think it is time that we talk a little bit about regional admissions counselors. Um, this is an episode and a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I was, for a short time, a regional admissions counselor. I know you were not, but I know you believe very, very strongly and support regional admissions counselors. And I believe you've had a regional staff on um, every one of your staffs. Is that true? That's correct. And Nathan, I was not a regional admissions counselor, but for a while I was considering it. And do you remember the advice you gave me? I'm sure it was great. Oh, it was fantastic. You said, Tej, it's perfect. It's the best job. You wake up by 10, you answer some emails, you break for lunch, you go out into the garden, come back, answer a few more emails at three. Nobody cares. I mean, seriously, do you want Karen to like drive down here to New Orleans and kill me? Because that's going to happen now. All right. Well, that may that might get cut or it might stay in. But if you're listening, here we go. So I think uh, I'm really excited to ask both of these guests um, how it works, their perspective, um, especially Tracy, because she worked on both sides. Right. So I think um, we, we know at least that she had experience previous in her career working as a regional missions counselor. And then she switched over to the other, other side of the desk um, working in the, in the high school side. So. I'm excited to pick her brain um, about what she 
uh, sees on both sides of the desk, but then also working with regional emissions counselors in the Chicago area, which, as both of us know, given our experiences, is one of the largest areas in the country um, for regional admissions counselors. Mm-hmm. And, and then Karen, um, I, you know, she wrote the book, I think, on admissions, regional admissions counseling. Um, and we both worked with her at, a, at one of our previous institutions. Um, she's very active in, uh, in associations about regional admissions counseling. Um, and I was joking about her coming down to give me a hard time, but um, she does try i think she spent her whole career fighting the stereotypes of the regional missions counselors and she made a believer out of me um mm-hmm. even when i was a regional admissions counselor myself um on how important it is for the staff and um, what role the regional missions counselor can play um in the in the entire staff and and how they can interact with their colleagues if that makes sense yeah, I, I'm excited. You know, they're, they're both from Chicago, of course, you know, that that's our sphere of influence. But I think for this conversation, it was important to have two folks from Chicago, because mm-hmm. a, a real unanswered question is, have we hit a critical mass? Are there too many regionals in Chicago? Um, you know, we can see the demographic trends in Illinois, um, and it, it would make a direct X if you cross-referenced it with a number of regionals in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Um so I, I would want to hear from both of them about that. And then Karin, you know, this this interview is going to be really anticlimactic, but fun at the same time, because everything I want to ask Karin on this uh, during this interview, I've talked to her about off the record as we were considering or did expand our regional footprint at both of my previous institutions. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, I'm, I'll be a good lawyer here. A good lawyer never asks a question without knowing the answer. I have a pretty good sense of what Karin is going to say when I ask about Saturday duty. Um, it's it's not good, but I but, but I think I know what it is, and I think she just has so much to say that I I think other folks who either have or are considering regionals can really benefit from hearing. Yeah, no, I would agree. All right, well, I think it's time we get to it, and we'll uh, see you on the other side. But I believe I need to say, since it seems like we're completely off script on this whole episode anyway, so let's just mix it up. But here's our conversation with our influencer guest, Tracy Flowers, followed by our conversation with our practitioner guest, Ms. Karen Smith. We hope you enjoy these conversations, and as always, we'll see you on the other side. Well, Tej, I'm really excited to uh, have our conversation today with Tracy Flowers, who's a post-secondary counselor at Deerfield High School in Deerfield, Illinois. She's going to talk to us today about regional admissions counseling. Tracy, welcome to the LunchCast. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Tracy, for those of you who don't know you, I know you and I go back quite a ways um, to our Chicago uh, Regional Admissions Counselor days, but uh, can you give folks just kind of your 30-second bio and how you got into the business? 
Sure, sure. Um, well, I'm going into my third year at Deerfield High School as a post-secondary counselor. Uh, prior to that, I was at Loyola Academy for about seven years. And then prior to that, um, I started my career in college admissions um, on campus at first and then transitioned into regional admissions, which, which I loved. Um, I absolutely love the profession and am grateful uh, for the roles I've had. And um, it, it's, it's been a fun ride. Well, that's great. And that's why I thought your perspective today would be so valuable because you really have worked on both sides of the desk here for folks. So our audience are admissions directors and, and we're, we're discussing regional admissions counseling to bring some, uh, bring some light to the subject and kind of give folks some more information about regional admissions counseling, generally speaking. So from your perspective, since you have worked both sides of that, um, that desk we talk about all the time, just tell us a little bit about your experiences as a regional admissions counselor versus how it is to be a post-secondary high school counselor, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, well, it was really, really hard to lead the admissions family after 11 years in college admissions. Um, eight of those years, uh, I was I said I was living the regional dream. Um, I absolutely loved my experience as a regional admissions counselor, but with my new school counseling degree, I knew it was time to make a transition, like you said, to the other side of the desk. Although I'm a licensed professional school counselor, um, I'm lucky enough to serve a very specific role as a post-secondary counselor which is also referred to as a college counselor in some districts. But I really find my regional experience allowed me to transition into the role much easier uh, for a couple of reasons. Although my primary role as a regional admissions counselor was to recruit students and manage a specific territory, so much of the role involved educating the community and schools I served about college admissions. Regional counselors are often called to serve on panels, present to districts, and educate families on the college admissions process. So when I became a college counselor, I definitely had that solid foundation and firsthand experience. Uh, my regional position also allowed me to serve on many professional committees. So my professional network was quite large. Um, and truly, that, that the knowledge that I gained from my regional colleagues really allowed me to get to where I am today. But to answer your question, like one of the most profound changes that I was not expecting uh, moving on to the high school side was just the sheer volume of mental health challenges our teenagers face. Um, we have all seen a rise in the demands of counseling services, both at the secondary and post-secondary level, but I definitely was not aware of the epidemic of anxiety and depression that continues to grow among our students. Although I may have read an essay or two, as I'm sure you have read quite a few about overcoming mental health challenges, while working in admissions on the high school side, it's continually being addressed daily. I think that's really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is something that we're really struggling with on, on high school or on college campuses for sure. And we know that mm -hmm. it's not, it's not starting on the college campus. It's starting yeah. um, in the high schools, unfortunately. Um, do you feel as a uh, as a as a post secondary counselor working within the high schools? Um, do you feel you have the tools to be able to help these students? And then maybe talk about some of the tools or how we can help if we're on this subject. Maybe how we can help transition those students to college. Yeah, I think um, you know as a trained school counselor. 
it's really about the immediate response, right? And so we are not licensed therapists. And I think mm -hmm. that's what we're really seeing the rise in where school counselors have to refer out um, to additional mental health professionals. Um, and that's the rise that like, I just wasn't prepared for. Or I didn't really see um, as much as on the college side. Um, but I think you know, when that's definitely something we ask, I think all colleges are how are your mental health services? What are the wait times um, mm -hmm. for your for your offices? Because we see that as such a, uh, like I said, epidemic on the high school side, that it's definitely something we we encourage our students to inquire about when they're doing college searches. Tracy, do you think are students comfortable asking admissions counselors about that? Or I remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the the kind of standard practice was to presume that students who needed academic accommodations wouldn't ask until after they were admitted. And even then, maybe they might still wait for fear that we would use it against them. Should we assume students are being forthcoming with these questions or should we assume that maybe these questions are there whether they're asked or not? I think that's a wonderful point. I still think there is a stigma around mental health, um, regardless of what we're doing in the high school and, you know, bringing light to um, a lot of mental health awareness days uh, and um, social emotional learning is really a huge factor. And I know a lot of districts, um, but I still think that is a fear among families to disclose this type of information, just like you said, that it will be held against them in mm -hmm. an admissions committee review. So I think, um, you know, th that's a really good point that if colleges could also, you know, partner with us and destigmatize this even more by saying that, it is okay to talk about this, but again, um, you know, tell tell colleges how they've grown from this experience. Um, that's how we typically advise families to to talk about any type of mental health challenges and essays. Is that it doesn't define who they are, um, but to talk about their their growth over the experience. And I think um, if colleges uh, also, you know, reiterate that that message, that's how we can partner together to make students more comfortable with with maybe sharing the types of supports that they they're definitely going to need um, when they get to college. Tracy, it's so interesting that you talked about kind of partnering with you to to help make sure the students know what what information or what resources are available and how to access it. Um, it actually leads perfectly into the question I was really excited to, to ask you. Just to put my own cards on the table, at my institution, uh, just this year, we created a new regional admissions counselor position in Minneapolis to start to build that territory. Yeah. And part of the argument I made was having someone on the ground uh, in the area, will be she will be able to get to know the schools and the counselors and be a resource in ways that we can't from a distance. So what we've all noticed is that Chicago in the last 15 years has seen an explosion of regional admissions counselors. Um, how has that changed the relationship colleges have with your school and students? Um, I love that question and I love that you were able to, to place a regional in Minneapolis, but um, the Chicago area regional organization is obviously near and dear to my heart as I was part of that for, for many years. Um, but it's really remarkable on how regionals can really build relationships and like, like you said, um, 
really get to know uh, the schools, I think, much more on a, a deeper level. Um, regionals are often asked to serve on panels or present on topics such as essay writing, interviewing, providing advice on letters of recommendations to faculty and staff. And so therefore, I feel our programming is actually stronger um, because of the regional voice we are able to incorporate and tap into. Um, we are so lucky to have CAR, and I think Minneapolis has an organization as well um, that's available and willing to always present and, and complement our programming. Um, and I often find that the credibility that regional admissions counselor possess far outweighs the advice that I, that I present. Um, I often think back to this past year and the rise to the, the test optional movement. Um, but when regionals present the information, families seem to be much more trusting than if I'm just to present the information when it's coming from um, a trusted admissions professional um, to reinforce the message and help us reinforce the message of, of calm um, can be really, really helpful. Um, I also find that with the growth of regionals, specifically in the Chicagoland region, I find students are more willing to consider options outside of the box or outside of their comfort zone. If they were originally considering maybe a school in their backyard with the rise of CAR um, and other regional organizations, I'm assuming the same, um, the programming events they're able to host throughout the year, um, the students have so much more exposure to, to more options. Um, Finally, I feel regional admissions counselors are far more knowledgeable, like you said, about our school, our district, our community. Um, they get to really know our school. They understand the nuances of grading scales and course offerings and just the culture of each individual institution. Um, and I really think that benefits our students in the reading process. I think that's great. That's really great feedback, and I, I would agree from the personal side of things. And when I was in that role, I really felt like I had uh, such a more knowledgeable, um, more knowledge about the area. I could connect with the high school counselors. Um, I just had something that I could relate to. Um, there's still probably quite a few schools that don't have regional admissions counselors, um, even in the Chicago area, which has exploded mm -hmm. with regional counselors. Do you see any differences in the relationships that you have when you have um, reps coming in between regional admissions counselors and the ones that are still campus-based? I mean, I think so. I think about the access and I think about the relationships that I have with my regional peers. Hmm. Um, I generally feel the regionals are, are much more accessible. They're in our time zone. They concentrate their time and efforts on serving a, a particular territory. Um, I feel like I get a much more expedited response. Um, so I would say in general, the other thing that I also value is that most regionals that I've worked with are able to serve on the committees and professional organizations. I feel like they're much more vested. For, for me, it was ICACAC. Um, so their level of commitment to the profession it seemed stronger, anecdotally at least, um, and the, then I get to see the regionals more often and more frequently throughout the year. Um, and then honestly, they, they typically become some of my closest friends because of the relationships either serving on committees or just from different events. Um, and I, I really just have a much more trusting relationship with the regionals, if I were being honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, honesty is great. Uh, one thing I just thought of, um, as you've seen in the Chicagoland area, and this is probably one of the few regions in the country where this exists, 
do you feel like maybe there's too many regionals? Like, is it too many relationships to handle that you have all these people now that are really trying to get in on all your panels and, and yeah. get you more in the knot? I would, that just popped into my head. I would say, I would say this when I know that an institution has invested a regional position, I know that they actively want my students. So they mm -hmm. often are the first, uh, you know, schools that I go to and look for when suggesting institutions, because I know that they're, they really have a vested interest in working with, like, say, Illinois or the Chicagoland area. So I don't feel like they're the there's too many. It's a it's a bigger opportunity for me to learn about more schools. To be to be honest, again. Well, I think that's a great way to end our conversation. That's probably the most ringing endorsement I've heard for <laughs> regional admissions counseling. I'm a big fan. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Well, that's great. We really appreciate the time you spent with us today. Two questions we always like to ask the guests at the end of the interview. Uh, what are you working on next? Something cool this fall that you want to tell folks about? And then if folks want to continue the conversation with you about uh, regional admissions counseling or just school counseling in general, um, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, I laugh at this question because my big projects are getting my my two boys through kindergarten and preschool. They're both starting this fall. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, and we also are getting settled into uh, our new suburban house and um, I'm hopefully getting reacquainted with uh, my Peloton that I've taken some time off with. <laughs> Those are my big projects. <laughs> I am right there with you, Tracy. My Peloton has been collecting dust since I moved. Yeah. <laughs> um, well yeah, how can folks get in touch with you if, yeah. if you're, when you're not on the peloton Tracy? so when i'm not on the peloton um i laugh you can find me on social media i am a huge social media addict so whether that's facebook instagram linkedin um, but my email is always great which is t flowers at uh, district which is d-i-s-t 113.org well, I encourage everybody to get in touch with you, whether you're uh, in Chicago visiting or thinking about a regional admissions position in Chicago and some great kids at Deerfield High School. And we really appreciate you coming on the LunchCast and good luck with that Peloton, Tracy. Thanks. I need the encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Diggy, as you know, we have collaborated with the folks at Kelmscott EDU to highlight Slate Print during Season 2 of the LunchCast. Nathan, you are right, and I am so excited to tell our listeners about Slate Print. Um, also, though, it's Tej. Yeah, that's right, but let's focus on Slate Print for now, okay? What were you most excited about when you start doing your research on Slate Print? Well, you know, it really is a revolution in print. First, I really like the automation through Slate itself. And I'm excited to try all the things. Personalized postcards, letters, mailers, view books, even admit packs. It's so great that regardless of the project I choose, I can create it all within Slate itself and mail on my schedule. Agreed. I really like that feature as well. And it speaks to the core reason why folks should use Slate Print instead of working outside their CRM. Well, I know we all work hard at those relationships we have with our marketing colleagues. Let's face it, this isn't always easy. Slate Print puts control in the hands of the admissions director, which means a faster delivery date. But Nathan, what if we have marketing folks listening to this and panicking that admissions won't need them any longer? That's a fair point, Diggy, and Slate Print has thought of that. 
Templates, photos, and branding tools can all be loaded into SlatePrint at the beginning of the cycle after approval from marketing, of course. This way, our marketing friends know that whatever mailing is being sent out from admissions, the right styles are being used. But well, you know, that is just so great. And I'm guessing that SlatePrint offers competitive pricing? You bet. And you can even pay with Slate credits already built into your Slate instance. It seems like the folks at Kelmscott EDU and Technolutions have thought of it all. I believe they have, Diggy. I believe they have. I'm also sure the folks at Kelmscott EDU would love to chat with any of our listeners. Visit kelmscottedu.com forward slash slate dash print to learn more. That's kelmscottedu.com forward slash slate dash print to learn more. Now, back to the show. It's it's Tej. Well, Nathan, I am so excited for the conversation with our next guest, continuing our discussion on regional admissions counselors. We have with us uh, Karin Smith, the Midwest Regional Manager at Beloit College. Karin, how are you doing? Just great, thank you. Karin, for the benefit of folks that don't know you, there may be a few out there like that. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your yourself? I'm Karin Smith, Midwest Regional Admission Manager, Chicago-based representative at Beloit College in Beloit, Wisconsin. Excellent. Well, I think we can just dive right in. Karin, the first question that I wanted to talk to you about when we set this up was um, thinking about admissions directors, what do we get wrong when we develop the job description for a regional admissions counselor? Well, I first I want to say I really appreciate you asking me to share my insights. Um, but let's be clear, because the two of you have some pretty significant experience with being and managing regionals. So while I've been around the block a few more times than both of you, literally, uh, I routinely consult with both of you, looking for your thoughts and experiences in our crazy, lovely world of admissions. But what do what do directors get wrong? I will mention three things. One. Directors look to simply edit an on-campus job description instead of starting from scratch or consulting resources that are available to anyone who wants to reference them on the NARAC website. And NARAC stands for National Association of Regional Admission Counselors. I think also oftentimes directors fail to recognize that regional counselors are not synonymous with on-campus counselors working from a different location. The responsibilities and the expectations of each are and should be different. And then the final thing that sometimes will just completely quash a search is that directors fail to take into account the cost of living in the area the regional will be located in comparison to where their school is located because sometimes there's a very significant difference. Uh, Karin, I think that last piece is especially important. And I actually just have an example of, we hired a regional admissions counselor recently this summer, and it was somebody in Florida, and we found out pretty quickly what we needed to do as far as salary was concerned. So I really appreciate you bringing, you bringing that up. Yeah. Um, Speaking about the hiring process, can you just give us a few pros and cons of hiring a regional counselor versus an on-campus counselor? Yeah, um, I think there's 
well, you know, I've worked regionally for the better part of my 37 year career. So I probably am not neutral on this subject. Um, but I think some of the pros are uh, enhanced availability in and knowledge of a particular area. Um, so back when area codes were actually tied to an area, uh, it was easier for students and families and counselors to make note of the fact that a regional counselor lives in their area, you know, that we are literally their neighbor. Um, and now we have to be a bit more obvious. But um, a regional can and should know quicker and more intimately about school and community changes, school and community events. For instance, um, a school goes on strike, we know. Um, a school is scheduled to close, which we've had happen here in the Chicago area with some of our parochial schools. Well, we know um, weather issues, um, speaking opportunities and needs of our neighbor counselors. We can be an, an area expert and resource. And I'm gonna give you one quick story. Um, when I was working prior to coming to Bowie in Northern California, I experienced for the first time wildfire season. And to be able to say to students, okay, well, what is the air quality where you live? Your school is closed? Oh, gosh, okay, well, how are you handling that? What What's happening? Um, you know, for them to be able to say to me, wait, you represent a school in the Midwest, you live here, you understand this, like you know? And then I would say, yes, I live in the East Bay and they would be, oh, well, like I'm in the South Bay. And, you know, so I think we we are that, we are in the, the, in the area. And then finally, regional people can take on some responsibilities in order to provide relief to our in-office colleagues. So for instance, um, I will often say to my director, who may not know, you know, I, I can read more applications than in-office people. I can do general inbox and phone duties more. Um, I was assigned at a, a previous school the all the final grade recalculations. And so when you think about it, other than my dog, um, and occasionally a family member or a neighbor, no one is stopping by my office for a chat. And so I don't spend several minutes a day chatting at the office water cooler, which sometimes is hard. Um, I don't host families visiting my school in person. And so regional admissions people can take on some responsibilities at a greater volume than some of our in-office colleagues. And then any cons you might have. Well, <laughs> I already told you I'm not neutral on this subject, Nathan. So <laughs> I actually don't think there are cons. Um, okay. Unless an office fails to dedicate the necessary resources and commitment to make a position work, I would say for every negative someone can come up with, I'm probably able to point out a positive. You know, Karin, one of the things you mentioned in the, the potential con was just if the office isn't prepared, if the college isn't prepared with the necessary resources to set a regional up for success. Mm -hmm. If a college, if an admissions director wants to develop a recruitment pipeline from a new territory and to do that, they create a regional counselor position. What else do we need to do in order to ensure that they're setting someone up for success? I'm going to give you a long list, well, a shorter long list, but it th cracks me up because I know the two of you had done this, so you are able to answer this question. But 
For the sake of the podcast and me looking like an expert on this topic, I will tell you, first of all, you want to increase your search in that territory, right? You're dedicating an entire person to an area. Give them more because they'll be able to do more. Um, I think you want to announce far and wide the name and contact information and location of your regional on your own mm-hmm. campus and to all of the individuals that you have um, on the high school side and the independent educational consultant side, um, let people know. Be clear with your expectations. And you know, I would tell you this of all of your your staff, but I think there there are and should be different expectations for regional people. And because we don't see you, we don't run into you in the hallway as easily as in-office people, we always have this need to be like, okay, wait a minute now. What exactly is expected of me here? And sometimes we can help you with that language. Um, To the point we just made a minute ago, set up lines of communication with in-office colleagues that encourage and enhance teamwork um, don't set up a system where it's us versus them. It never, ever goes well. And so one of the things that I routinely do when I'm working regionally is to ask to be part of a team that's working on an in-office project so that they have to consult with me and I have to consult with them. And I, I always advise new regionals to do that as well. Um, you know, we've said this, but I'll say it again, understand that regionals will always work differently than an office staff and be okay with that. I think sometimes what's very difficult for directors is trust. Trust that we are not eating bonbons and watching soap operas all day long. Um, but because you don't see it, us, sometimes there's, there's a lack of trust. Um, I would say have them report to someone who understands regional work. And if the director at a particular school does, great. Um, I found myself in an awesome situation at a previous institution where I was hired at the same time the school was planning to hire three other regionals and so have their first regional team ever. And I think I was, well, I know I was a surprise applicant And the person who was hiring me said, so would you want to manage the regional team? Because honestly, we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. Yes, I will do that. And that worked out really, really well for all of us and for the institution. And then, you know, a couple other things I would say, please do not put someone who is brand new to admissions work in a regional position. This rarely works well. You're putting someone who literally doesn't know anything about anything in a place where they're operating completely on their own. And we who work in a regional world know each other well and do our best to take care of each other. But it is so obvious when someone doesn't know what they're doing and really doesn't understand admissions at all. And we kind of take it personally. You know, like, come on. And we help them out to the best of our ability. But It just doesn't work very well. Um, Let's see, two more things. Uh, Commit resources necessary to bring your regionals to campus three or four times a year, but not every week. 
<laughs> okay? Even if they're only an hour and a half away, they're right. regional for a reason. Um, so you want to be really careful and thoughtful with that. And then I always say, encourage them or even require that your regional people get involved in their area. ACAC, there's the regional organization. And if a regional group happens to exist where they're gonna be, by all means. You know, in Chicago, we have a group called CAR, Chicago Area Regional Reps. There's about 125 of us now. And we're all regionals. And so we can be support for each other. And we are. Karin, can you expand just a little more on what, what you said rather firmly about don't have regionals come in every week? I know when a regional position is created out of an on-campus position, the question always comes up about Saturday duty. So, oh. okay, go ahead. <laughs> oh, do you know this story? Is this why you're asking me this question? I feel, I don't know what your story is, but okay. I feel like we all have the story. Here's the right. story. I become a regional at an institution that where I remained for a number of years, but the person I was reporting to was not familiar with regional life. And so when the Saturday duty calendar came out, I was expected to sign up for as many Saturdays as anybody else. And I was a lot younger at that point and pretty excited to have this job. So I wasn't going to make a lot of waves initially, but I got through the fall and put together and, and I, I said at one point, why am I doing this? Even though I live three and a half hours away, well, everybody has to have a turn and equal turns. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So I was on campus two Saturdays where there were no students to talk with me. Zero, none. I put together my expenses shared them with my director and i said you know here's what you have paid for me to come to campus to sit with a student worker in the same space for three and a half hours and basically do work that i would typically do at home if the concern is i'm not working as many weekends as the in-office staff let me show you my fall calendar and let me show you the number of weekend days that i actually am working and now you tell me if this makes any sense at all and there you have it and then you didn't have to come up for another saturday ever again correct hopefully that's okay great yes right <laughs> but sometimes we have to show instead of just tell right. and right. the other thing that can happen is when you when you have a regional coming to campus too much nobody really understands how they work and what they are are right. you an in-office person that has this luxury of working at home a lot? Are you a regional person, but then why are you showing up and I have to share my office with you? You know, like don't, right. you laugh, it's true. Don't graze that line. Karin, this has been fantastic. Can you, <laughs> just to, to wrap things up, can you talk to us a little bit about what's next for you? What are you working on now? And how can folks get in touch with you? Well, I'm working on now what everyone's working on now, right? Which is planning my own and consulting with my colleagues on fall travel um, that we already know is going to exist in a hybrid form, right? Thank you, pandemic. 
Um, and it's, it's both, it's very daunting to be honest with you, but it's also really exciting um, because we get to decide what are we gonna keep? What are we gonna reimagine as a result of our pandemic experiences? And, and what are we gonna scrap? What are we gonna build up? And then like, how do we weave this all into the fabric of our pre-pandemic practices? Um, and I was actually in a meeting earlier this morning where we were trying to get some of this figured out. And there's layers of it, right? Because it doesn't just mean I, me, I'm going to do something differently. It has to be reported in Slate differently. And the communications have to go out differently. And, you know, where do we have something that's virtual in addition to something in person? And where can we be in person? And do we have to quarantine after we get on a plane, off a plane? You know, I mean, all these kind of things that are, you know, I want to just get out my old calendar and do what I used to do. Um, but I kind of don't actually, because to be able to so easily now reach out to students in rural areas or at schools that don't allow and maybe won't allow this fall for the first time, uh, college admissions representatives to visit, like, oh, guess what? We have a way to deal with that. Um, and so that's, that's, it's exciting. That's what I'm working on right now from a professional standpoint, from a personal standpoint. Well, you know, I moved twice during the pandemic, so I'm trying to get used to my new house and my new area and, you know, all that good stuff. Lovely. And I have tickets for three different plane trips, only one of which is professional so far. <laughs> that's a win that's definitely I know. a win like, is this real? <laughs> <laughs> so if folks want to get in touch with you how best can they get in touch with you then okay so my my email address is smithcs at beloit.edu my work phone 608-363-2171 but I actually shamelessly give away my cell phone number because aren't we all attached to our cell phones, right? Right, um, yep. I, I have it always, primarily because I'm a mom. And I manage three staff that are younger and a little more foolish than I am. Oh, well, that's debatable. But um, so my cell phone number is 847-208-4841. Well, this has been fantastic, Karen. And I know from both of our personal experiences, we've used of consultations about regional admissions counseling and just anything with admissions. And we're both um, feel very grateful that you decided to join us today. And thanks so much for joining the LunchCast. Well, thank you very much for having me. And again, my cred with my children. Oh, you don't even know what you did. <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, I hope it wasn't too anticlimactic that uh, that we set it up here in the opening. But I mean, listening back to these conversations, um, can we just zero in right away on that Saturday duty conversation? <laughs> if there is an admissions director out there listening, having a regional drive in for Saturday duty, um, it is time to reconsider that. Even if your regional says they're happy to do it, even if nobody's frustrated by it, it's it, it, Karin was right. These are different jobs. You have someone regionally based for a reason. And the way I thought about it, because I had this same argument on my campus when we put a regional three and a half hours from campus. If if that person is going to spend seven hours doing something, traveling to talk with students, I want them doing it in their territory, not driving to campus and then driving back. Um, I get that it's a tough on-campus conversation with your with your on-campus staff, but they are different jobs. And here's the thing. I believe I might have touched on this in the interview. The, with the technology we have now, especially with video conferencing, Zoom especially, there is no reason that a re regional admissions counselor can't connect with the student and still establish a relationship with the students in their territory, even maybe when they're still in town, you know, they could set up a meeting right after the visit mm -hmm. or whatever else. So, I mean, I remember back in the day when I was a regional admissions counselor, that's what we were worried about the most is how the campus visit experience would go because we couldn't be there meeting with them personally. And that was the way it was back in the day. You were very controlling about the students that came in because you wanted to meet with your students mm -hmm. and make sure the visit went all right. And I think, I mean, the regional admissions folks really have to establish a level of trust with the campus folks, but now it's so easy to connect them. Um, there's no reason that they should be meeting with, well, no people like that story she told. Um, but there's other people that they can be meeting with in their territory. Um, and you can divide up the work that way. It's just it, at the end of the day, it's about managing, um, the expectations of the entire staff and having role clarity. You really have to tell mm -hmm. folks that it's a different role and there's different responsibilities. But I think her other comment about pulling people together or having a regional person on a working group or a committee of a project or something else and getting them involved um, is so critical um, to making sure that they understand they're not just there to work a territory. They're there to also contribute to the entire effort um, and, and all the side projects that we love to assign to admissions counselors, mm -hmm. you know, um, in that extra work. So. Um, and then Tracy, I think, uh, I mean, we asked the question about, are there too many? We asked the question about, can you reach that critical mass if you, um, if she establishes relationships with a lot of regionals that have been there a long time, and then you have new folks coming in, in regional positions. And I think she handled it, it, it well. And I think she talked about how um, she just wants more people to establish relationships with and learn about more schools, which is great. And I think that you can see how that really benefits um, her students more than anything. Um, and that's mm -hmm. a great attitude for her to take. She, Tracy just, I, I have to meet her in person. She just seemed like so much fun. Mm -hmm. She is. I've presented at NACA conferences with her and uh, local ACACs and um, oh, she's oh. a lot of fun. I'm sorry, that was very uh, humble bragging, Nathan. Did you say you presented at NACAP conferences? Oh, no, it was too too long ago for me to actually humble brag. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was more trying to brag on her. So jerk. But anyway, <laughs> all right. Oh, uh, well, I think that means we're at the end of the wrap up here, fellow listener. So um, unless you have fellow anything else. 
there's more than one. Is there? Okay, I think the jury's still out. Anyway, all right. So here it is. That was episode number 14. I'm Nathan. I'm Tiege. And that was a lunch cast. Thanks, folks. Nathan, I don't know what you were talking about. She was great. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I'm kidding, Tracy. You were, you were Nathan's pick, for sure. I, 